Genesis chapter 29 is our text this morning as we make our way through the book of Genesis and we come now to the sons of Jacob, their births. In Genesis 29 and verse 31, we'll begin there and read just a portion of scripture and our study will take us on into chapter 30 as well, the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 31 of chapter 29, and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore will my husband love me. And she conceived again and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word this morning. Lord, this is the living word of God. And as we study the origins of your people, the tribes of Israel, the prophetic statements that these mothers made at the birth of their children, even in giving them their names, we pray that you'd open up to us the things of God and to teach us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The latter part of chapter 29 of Genesis and the first half of chapter 30 record the births of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. It's interesting that God gave Abraham only one son through whom the promises hinged, and that was Isaac. And Abraham's son likewise had only one son through whom the promises would be fulfilled. But to Isaac's son Jacob, 12 sons would be born from several mothers, and they would comprise the sons of Jacob, the tribes of Israel. Only one of these tribes would be the tribe of the Messiah, the tribe of Judah. Judah means praise. And all of these would become the children of Israel and would make up the promised nation, God's particular and chosen people. Leah gives birth first. And verse 3 tells us that God opened her womb, an interesting fact that the Scripture tells us. The miraculous gift of life is at the Lord's hands. He opens and closes the womb. Rachel, the favored wife, and we have studied how Jacob is tricked and forced to marry the sister, the older sister first, and he is forced into this strange circumstance and of course it is not best there are feelings and there are problems that will be in this this unusual home as always when we see uh, these unusual relationships there will be problems and yet Rachel the favored wife her womb was closed and we see that in verse uh, chapter 30 when she saw that she bare no children Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob give me children or I, I die And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? Jacob knew that God was in control of conception and birth. And when Leah gives birth, in verse 3 tells us that God opened her womb. He allows her to conceive. 
And in rapid succession, in four years or less, she has four sons. Leah names each one of them according to her feelings at the time, or so she thinks. But as we study the scripture, we're going to see that the providence of God and the leading of God intervenes. And we see some notable uh, meanings from the names that she gives her sons. Commentators have pointed out some interesting patterns and teachings gleaned from the, the birth order and the meanings of these boys' names as their mothers named them. One points out how the gospel is seen here. And of course, the Bible is the gospel. It's the story of the Savior coming into the world. And it starts from the very beginning. The book of Genesis chapter 3, where the Lord promised that the seed of the woman would bring about the coming of the Savior who would bruise the serpent and, and be victorious. And so we see here that when, when Reuben is born, the first son's name means see a son. This is what God says to us through the gospel to his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He points and says, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I've promised a son and a son would come. And it's been said that all the Jewish women wondered if their son would be the, the promised Messiah and hoped and expected that he would. And I'm wondering if, if Leah didn't think, see a son, maybe this is the son, the coming Savior. Then Simeon is born, whose name means hearing. Receiving the gospel comes by faith, and faith comes by hearing. The gospel means, the gospel promises is, hear and your soul will live. Give heed to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simeon means hearing. And then Levi is born, and his name means joined. Speaking of the union which the Holy Spirit places us in Christ, He makes us one with the Son of God through the hearing of the Word and through the Gospel. Next, Judah is born, meaning, as we've already mentioned, praise. The, the happy and the joyful heart of a believer who finds their sins forgiven, them being placed in Christ. The, the gift of salvation brings praise. We've come to praise Him today, haven't we? And each Lord's Day, we're reminded of the great work of Christ at Calvary that causes us to have a lively hope and a joyful heart. We have something to sing about. Our hearts are filled with praise to the Savior. Come, Christians, join to sing because of what our Savior has done. We have been given the glorious riches of His grace. And this, by the way, the tribe of Judah is the tribe through which the Messiah will come. Dan is, is next, meaning judgment, which tells us how a believer in Christ must judge his self and his sins when he hears the gospel and agree and say, Yes, I am a sinner. I do need a Savior. I am not righteous in and of myself, and there's no work that I can do that could earn me salvation or buy me a place in heaven. And so judgment, our sins must be judged. And while they are judged in Christ at Calvary, we must come to that place as we hear the gospel and judge our sins and say, yes, I am a sinner. All of my righteousness is as filthy rags. I need a Savior as well. Then Naphtali means wrestling and it speaks of the earnestness in prayer, the wrestlings of the spiritual heart. Once the heart has been made new and regenerated, then the battle begins, doesn't it? And we read there in Romans 7 where, where the Apostle Paul says, The good that I would do, I do not. And the, the wrong that I wish I wouldn't do. These holy wrestlings which come about in a believer's heart. 
In a spiritual person's heart where we continually see our sin and how far short we fall and that we've not arrived, we've not attained. And and we wrestle with God in prayer over these areas in our life where we want our faith increased and where we, we fail here in this attitude there, these wrestlings. And then Gad means a troop or a company which some have pointed to the, the company, the fellowship of God's people, how a believer is to associate with like-minded believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Asher means happy. And it's interesting that Asher is the, the, the smallest tribe of the least desired of all the, 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 the servants, the, the maids. And yet Asher is happy. And I'll remind you, if you'll remember in our Christmas study, you know who comes from the tribe of Asher? Godly Anna, who comes into the temple every day hoping to see the Messiah. This dear elderly lady, way up in her 90s or 100 years old, who comes and she is one of the first to see the Savior. She's from the happy tribe of Asher. And some have said, what would she have to be happy about? Old and a widow. She'd been a widow some 70 years and with nothing, and all she lived for was coming to the, the temple, and yet her faith was rewarded, and she saw the Savior as he was being brought to the temple. Happy speaks of the fellowship that we have. It's, it's a joy that cannot be bought or paid for. It comes as a byproduct of being united with Christ and associated with the things of God. Then Issachar means higher. And speaks of service. We give ourselves over in grateful service in the work of the Lord. Zebulun means dwelling. And reminds us of our Lord's words. Abide in me and I abide in you. And and you shall bear much fruit. We are to abide in Christ and live our lives through him. And dwell with him in constant moment by moment fellowship. Occupying till he comes. And then Joseph. Remember Joseph. Much of the rest of the book of Genesis we will... Well, the study about Joseph's life, whom his brothers will reject and be jealous of and sell as a slave to Egypt. But Joseph gets it. So few people see the hand of God and the circumstances of their life. But we're going to see that Joseph says, though you meant this for harm, God had a plan. He always does, doesn't he? This bad thing that happens, this thing we wish was not be in our life, this misfortune, if we live long enough, and it may not be until we stand before him one day in glory, we'll say, oh, that's the reason. God brought me this way to keep me from going that way. We're going to see that if Joseph was stayed in that home, his father would have ruined him. He would never have amounted to anything. God had greater things for Joseph. And though the, the way that he came is, is unusual, and as God's paths often are, God brings him out and allows him to come. And he preserved many souls alive because of, of his circumstances in his life. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Benjamin, the last... And remember, Joseph's names, names, his name means adding, and it speaks of the reward the Lord will give to all those who diligently and faithfully serve him. Benjamin, the last of the 12 tribes, of the 12 sons of Jacob, means son of my right hand, but not originally. Remember when Benjamin was born, he was, he was named Benomi. and his mother named him that, but later his father changed it to Benjamin. Son of my right hand. And here the circle ends where it begins. 
We began with Reuben, we go full circle and end with Benjamin, the son of my right hand. How prophetic can you get? Who is sitting today at the right hand of the majesty on high? Having completed his work of redemption and salvation for us. Who is sitting waiting for his father to say, go and get your bride, the church, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the first and the last Alpha and Omega, beginning and ending, in Him is all in all. But not only do we see the gospel displayed here in the naming of these sons and in the order that they're born, but we also see prophecy displayed here. I hope that you see as we're studying the Scripture that there are no, there are no uh, unimportant things. Even the naming of these boys and their mothers by different mothers, and naming them, we see the, the prophecy that of Israel's history displayed here, I think. These sons would become, as we've already mentioned, the 12 tribes of Israel. Genesis 29 and 30 record the earliest history of the nation to which the rest of the Old Testament will deal with in the coming of the Savior in the New Testament. Not only do we see the meanings of their names here are given to us, but... We learn of the circumstances surrounding the giving of those names. Now, I've shared with you before, when I was a little boy, it dawned on me that my older brothers all had meaningful names. One's William Marshall, named after great-grandfathers and great-uncles. And I heard of all the exploits of Uncle Will and, and my grandfather Marshall. And then my other brother, John Michael, named after my daddy and granddaddy and great-grandfather and it dawned on me, I never heard anybody in the family with my name, James Christopher. So I began to wonder, and finally, years and years and years later, I was grown. I don't know why it took me that long. I'm, I'm a little slow. As someone said, I wasn't in the high group. I was in the high part of the low group. And it dawned on me one day. And so I went and asked my mother, I said, why did you name me James Christopher? We don't know anybody in our family because everybody else had a, a name given to them. She said, oh, I didn't name you. Boy, that's a wide awakening. You didn't name me. If you didn't name me, who named me? Oh, your sister, Judy, named you. <laughs> that made it worse. You let a 15-year-old teenage girl pick out my name? How could you? How could you do this to me? What? And then so I go to my, what do you do? You go, to your, why did you name me? You named me? <laughs> a sister named a brother? This cannot be. This has to be one of the worst things in history. And then I said, why did you name me James. Christopher, oh, Christopher is easy. You're born at Christ December the 23rd. Write that down, December 23rd. <laughs> we, Christmas, Christopher. Okay, that's kind of cheesy, but I take it. You know, okay, that's logical. James, why did you name me James? Oh, we didn't, have, we didn't know anybody named James. We decided just to put that name in, in the family. So your name may have more, uh, more august meaning than mine, and I, I don't have any issues with it. I just, you know, wondered about it and found out about it. Maybe you ought not to do the, the research to find out about the origins of your name. I don't know. But uh, these names are recorded to us by the Holy Spirit and are packed with meaning and the circumstances around the names being given. We see not only the meanings, but the circumstances, the providence of God guiding and intervening, opening and closing the wombs, prompting these mothers to say what they did at the time of their son's birth. 
Leah said in chapter 29, verse 32, when she named her firstborn, her first, the first of the twelve boys, Reuben, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Then when Simeon, her second son, was arrived, arrived she gave him uh, uh, her reason in verse 33, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated. We see this same pattern in Exodus chapter 2, verse 25. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, where the Holy Spirit records for us that God looked upon the children of Israel and to Moses, he said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And then corresponding with Leah's words, when Simeon was born, he adds, and I have heard their crying. You know, he does hear. He hears every feeble prayer. You've come to the Lord's house today, and I'm sure that they're This week, all of us have come from different directions and different circumstances. And and you may be very heavy-hearted here today. You may have breathed a prayer. Maybe you would say that maybe some people would even consider it a prayer. Lord, help me. Or, oh, Lord, just the, the sigh of the heart. The Lord heard that sigh. He saw that tear. He knows all the, the meaning behind that plea. I have heard their cry. We see prophetic utterances in these mother's comments. Their identical words point to the first stage of the history of the children of Israel who were hated and afflicted by the the Egyptians. God will tell Moses that he had seen the affliction. He sees all things. Please don't think that one injustice that happened this week that was beyond your control, God did not see. We sing in that song, uh, This is My Father's World. One of the verses says that the wrongs will be made right. Maybe not today. Maybe not in your lifetime. But it's not over with. Did you know that? God, the righteous judge, will, will make all things right one day. God will tell Moses that he had seen the affliction, the injustices of his people. And that he had heard their cry. These words of Leah years and years and years earlier. When Levi was born, his mother said, this time will my husband be joined to me. Maybe at last he will love me because of the sons that I've given him there in verse 34. Later, on the first Passover evening, when God instructs the children of Israel to eat of the lamb just before they leave Egypt... The night before they leave Egypt, when the lamb was slain, his blood was sprinkled and and painted on the doorpost. Just as we are are joined to, to him in Christ because of the shedding of the blood of the lamb at Calvary. There God and the sinner meet. Can you imagine God, the sinless, holy, righteous creator of all, condescending to meet with us is at the place of Calvary where the sinless son of God The just dies for the unjust. The spotless one for those who the Bible says our very best righteousness is his sinful rags, putrid rags. There God meets and is joined with his people just as he he did on the night of, of the Passover as we're joined to him. There God and the sinner meet. The way having been cleared by the blood of Christ, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world as we've heard sung today. At the the first Passover, Jehovah entered into covenant 
relationship with his people, Israel, and became their husband. They became his bride. He uses that analogy often throughout the Old Testament in Hosea and other places. There he was joined to them at that first Passover. Jeremiah 31 verse 31 describes this event when he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the land to bring them out of the land of Egypt, with which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, joined unto them, saith the Lord. When Judah was born, his mother said, Now I will praise the Lord. There in verse 35. This takes us to the crossing of the Red Sea. Where jubilant after their miraculous deliverance. And can you imagine being safe on the other side? I was rereading that that event recently in the scripture. Please don't let Hollywood teach you the Bible. Would you let the Bible teach you itself? And and let the, the Hollywood... Everything they touch, they, they, they mar. And uh, the Bible clearly tells us the miraculous event that took place when Israel crossed over, that the Shekinah glory cloud of the Lord that, that led them in front of them at the very time when they were to cross over, moved and went behind them and stayed the hand of, of Pharaoh and his armies and kept them at bay. This wall between Pharaoh and the, the children of Israel where over a million of them would cross over that, the Red Sea on dry ground, the old and the feeble, the young. They were loaded down. They weren't racing away. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that God caused the chariot wheels of Pharaoh's armies to fall off. A miraculous thing. No wonder they were jubilant on the other side. They had something to sing about. If you just been, life had been spared in that miraculous way, don't you think you could say praise to the triune God? Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy, thy praise. Psalm uh, in Exodus fifteen eleven, they they sing at that event. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Boy, he does wonders, and he still does. Every time someone's understanding is open to the gospel, and they receive Christ as Savior, what a miracle that is! What a wonder it is to pass from, from death to life, from, from darkness to light. When chains fell, fall off and hearts are made free, when God does what only He can do in answer to earnest prayer, isn't that something to sing about today? And in your hearts, so the psalmist says in Psalm 106, verse 11, And the waters covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. They believed they His words... They sang his praise. Judah, praise. When we think of our God, that word ought to come to mind. Praise. Oh, he's worthy to be praised. Think of his deciding to create us at all. Knowing as he knows all things that we would fall away from him. And we would need a savior the great plan of God, the great heart of God, the love of God who devised it all and created us still and extends his love to us. And then when Dan was born, Rachel, his mother, said, God hath judged me in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 30. These words of Rachel following Leah's statement speak of the Red Sea. 
pointing to, to God's wrath against Israel when they murmured against what he had provided for them. Do you remember after he delivered them and they, he provided them manna and they began to complain about it? We soon get, get, go tired of free food. Have you noticed that? Or free anything. Oh, this food is just, I mean, it's just honey buns, you know, or some say biscuits. I don't know what it is. It's so tiring. It's so bothersome. Oh, I know I didn't have to work for it. All I do is go pick it up and, and eat it. But I mean, after all, and they began to complain. And remember that God judged them by granting their requests and sending leanness to their souls. He sent them quail and they ate it till they were sick of quail. And also when they, they murmured at him at the, at the waters of Massa and Meribah, and he changed the bitter waters to sweet. When Rachel's son, Naphtali, was born, she said in verse 8 of chapter 30, With great wrestling have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. This parallels with Israel's history when after God judged them at the bitter waters of Meribah, and they became in, in conflict with Amalek. Do you remember that first battle they had where they had to lift up the hands of Moses on either side as, as they fought against Amalek in a horrible, horrible battle there, and they wrestled and fought with their enemy Amalek. Exodus seventeen eleven says, And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed we see the very word that Rachel uses at Naphtali's birth prevailed. And with, God's, with Gad's birth, Leah said, a troop cometh. What a strange statement to make at the birth of a son. A troop cometh in verse 11 of chapter 30, which goes with the order of Israel's history here. When after the wilderness was, was left and they crossed Jordan, a troop came to meet Israel. And the seven nations of the Canaanites came and met them and tried to stop them from occupying the land that God had already given them. In verse 13, when Asher was born, his, his mother exclaimed, Happy am I, which describes Israel's joy and happiness when their enemies were defeated and they possessed the land of Canaan. And they possessed, as God told them, vineyards they did not plant and gardens and houses they did not build. All a lavish gift from God. Happy. It's interesting what makes us happy, isn't it? Someone said that happiness is based on what happens. But this is a happiness far beyond circumstances. It's a happiness and a deep-seated joy over what God so graciously has done. In verse 18 of that chapter, when Leah said of Issachar, God hath given me my hire. In verse 20 of Zebulun, God hath endued me with a, a good dowry. They speak of Israel's receiving the goodly inheritance of Jehovah in the land of promise. And then in verse 24, at Joseph's birth, his mother said, The Lord shall add to me another son. His name means adding. And in Genesis 35 verse 18, at Benjamin's birth, she originally called him, as I mentioned, Benomi, uh, Benoni, or son of my sorrow. But it was changed by his father to son of my right hand, Benjamin. This points to Israel's completion and the coming of the Messiah, of the Messiah and their Savior. The birth of the, first, of the first four sons speak of Israel's deliverance from Egypt and the Egyptians. 
the fifth and the sixth sons, born by different mothers, speak of their wilderness experience. The seventh and eighth born to Zilpah, and the ninth and tenth born to Leah, point prophetically to Israel's occupation and enjoyment of Canaan. The eleventh and twelfth sons were separated from the others. In the early events of Israel's history, they speak of the setting up of the kingdom of during David and Solomon's reign. We see here in these names, these utterances of their mothers, both God's intervention, his preserving, his providence in the daily affairs of men. Here we are looking into a family, an unusual family though it is, the birth of these sons, the statements of their mothers, the names they chose for their son. Job says, he knoweth the way that I take. He will perfect that which concerneth me. But we see also something else here, the divine inspiration of the scriptures. Folks, the book you hold is God's word given to us by him. God knows the end from the beginning and he leads and guides and intervenes and and goes around even the affairs of men to bring about his sovereign will. We see how perfectly his word is completed. A.W. Pink writes, probably no uninspired writer would have taken the trouble to inform us of the words used by those mothers in the naming of their boys. Where can be found in all the volumes of secular history one that records the reasons why the parent gave a certain name to his or her child? But there was good reason why the words of Jacob's wives should be preserved, unknown even to themselves, that their lips were guided by God. And the Holy Spirit has recorded their utterances because they carried with them a hidden but real prophetic significance And in recording of them in their perfect agreement with the outstanding events in the history of Israel in which through centuries afterward these prophetic utterances were fulfilled, we have an unmistakable proof of the divine inspiration of the scriptures. We also have a divine object lesson here that nothing in the Bible is trivial or meaningless. Oh, we can get bogged down maybe in the reading of a genealogy or on a catalog of listing or things as so often censuses that, that are recorded for us. But be careful. There are treasures hid in all of these places and they all point to the veracity and the preservation of God's word by himself. There is the divine mark of God upon every word. Now remind us in this church age, this day of grace, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Even these lists and catalogs, all are as inspired as the beautiful poetry of the Psalms that we read or the gospel parables and records that are given to us. Proverbs 2 verse 4 tells us that there are hid treasures in every list and phrase and word of, of God. Do you search it? Do you look for them? Do you study? Do you ask the Holy Spirit of God, show me these precious things? God does rule over the affairs of men. It may not look like it today. We may hang our heads or shake our heads at the events of this world and say, just where is it all going? Well, this book tells you, doesn't it? We know where it's going. And at some point, the culmination of all things 
will be to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And Jesus shall reign from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. He sees and he answers prayer. I can see Leah in a tent praying, Lord, give me a son. Rachel begging that her her womb be opened and a son would be born to her. And we see direct answers to prayer. The cries, the feeble cries of mothers. He is sovereign over all. And what about you and about me today? We may not be in the same circumstances as these people so long ago and far away. But God does care about you. You have a life to live. He's placed you here for such a time as this with burdens and questions and problems and jobs to do and children to raise, truths to find out. How do I serve Him? How do I live for Him? Lord, what will Thou have me to do? We're here today just as real as Rachel or Jacob or Leah or Judah or Issachar. We do not know all. We can't see the end from the beginning, but I know one who does. Thou see my downsitting and uprising and my thoughts from afar. Lord, you have placed me, designed me in your book before my members were ever given to me. When you placed me in my mother's womb, the psalmist says in Psalm 139. Folks, we're not here by accident. We're here by divine appointment. And once that dawns on you, whether your oldest sister named you, or, or whatever your circumstances may be. You're here today, now, for the Lord's reason, for the Lord's purpose. You're even here to hear this message. Not because I'm the one giving it, but the Lord directs all things. His gospel. He does rule over the affairs of men, doesn't he? We see it over and over again as we study through the Bible. He sees, he hears, we say, with Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath, seen, who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed to him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory Forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. As we bow in prayer, we see the glorious hand of God in all these things. Do you know that God is working in your life as well? His gospel comes that whosoever will may come. The Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sin. He came, took on the the flesh of a baby, was grown and, and lived a sinless life. He lived the Old Testament law perfectly, never violating a part of it, so that he could be the perfect and sinless Lamb of God, dying in our place. Oh, the Scripture says we needed a Savior. These women, these people that, and men that we're studying about all needed a Savior. And they look forward to the promise of the coming of the Messiah. And we look back to his completed work, his death upon the cross for our sin, and his resurrection from the, from the dead. And now he ever lives, seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Have you called upon him? 
Have you seen yourself? Have you judged yourself as his word tells you that you are a sinner? Have you come to him and cried out to him in faith, Oh, Lord, save me. Lord, I am in need of a Savior. I'm in need to have my sins forgiven and taken from me. I do believe. I do receive you as my Savior. You can call on him where you are. He hears the feeblest prayer. You may say, I don't know what to pray. You go to Jesus Christ just now and tell him your need. Call on him. Oh, tell him your heart that you need a Savior and that you want to be his. And to him to rule and reign over you and do with you what he will. Lord, we thank you for meeting our needs and day by day leading and guiding us down to this very hour. Would you bless your word that has been taught here in Sunday school this morning and preached here today? We think of our children and young people across the way and the special folks in the special church. Would you bless them and may they hear and understand today as well the the gospel of Jesus Christ. We present ourselves to you once again and ask for you to, to take your word And to make it clear to every heart, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.